0: when I'm speaking, and so we just need to get through that together. It's going to look awkward, I'm going to be awkward, and if y'all just embrace it, we'll be fine. Maybe three things. The second is, I'm not as funny as David Eldridge, as you just saw, and that was you'll warm up. And the third is, you don't have to have black-rimmed glasses to stand on this stage. There were a lot of black-rimmed glasses up here today, weren't there? Some of us were wearing them because we had to, and some of them are wearing them because they're stylish but um, you don't have to have them somebody asked me last week uh, we were doing something with the students and somebody said I like your glasses like do you need them are they prescription or are you just wearing them and I thought are grown men now wearing glasses for style is that happening is that something if you're doing it don't raise your hand um, we want to keep that quiet. We want to believe that you're not. I make a lot of risky style choices, as you may see, uh, but I don't know about glasses just for style. These are mine. i wear them. They might be ladies. Angie Foyfer said that. Where are you, Angie? Right. It's like Angie thinks they might be girl glasses, but I like them. Um, so that's it. Now that we're super comfortable with each other, uh, we're going to jump into the passage. Uh, we're looking through first Samuel. David Eldridge is going to be back up here. Next week I'm thankful that he's letting me share today. We've been going through First Samuel, I think since Easter, right? Yeah. And uh for us, we're actually setting a breakneck pace. We're on chapter 14. Um some background for those of you who haven't been with us the whole time. Historically, First Samuel follows the period of judges in Israel's history. Short form for judges is that it's this book. Uh, where Israel goes through this cycle of falling away from the Lord, uh, God sends a nation, a foreign nation, to attack Israel, sort of as a wake-up call, kind of as a discipline issue. Israel then cries out to ju- cries out to God. God sends a judge to help, and God Israel Israel repents and returns, which brings peace to them, and then the cycle starts all over again. That happens throughout the book of Judges. Then you get to the end of Judges, and you get this verse that says. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit, and you can imagine how that would turn out. You see that a lot of times when people just sort of do whatever they want, and as they see fit, uh, you end up in 1 Samuel uh, in a place where uh, things aren't great. Uh, People aren't sure what God wants anymore. They're not listening to God. Even the priests have fallen away from God. Finally, Samuel steps onto the scene As a priest and a judge restores Israel after a pretty significant loss where the ark, which represents the presence of God, is carried away. Uh, Israel returns to God uh, as Samuel leads them. Uh, Then Israel comes to Samuel and um, they say they want a king, very much for the same reasons that your kids want iPhones. They say everybody else has one and we want one too. Um, and just like you might say to your kids, uh, God says through Samuel, that's not a great reason uh, to have a king. But Israel says, we want one anyway. They won't relent. So finally, um, God gives them a king. He gives them their first king uh, in the version of a guy named Saul. Saul looks the part of a king. He's tall like most jerks. He is... <laughs> So, I'm standing up on this, but you can't tell. I'm not that tall. Um, no, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's good looking. He just has the look and he comes from the family of a king. But what we notice about Saul early on is that internally it seems like something's missing. Um, internally he just doesn't seem to have a connection with the Lord. You see gifts expressed through Saul. Um, you see him connected a lot of times to the right people, people who hear from the Lord. But Saul himself doesn't seem to have This internal relationship where God is guiding him and leading him. And it all culminates for him in a situation where Saul can't trust the Lord in the midst of a battle. And he can't wait on Samuel before making a sacrifice. Samuel lets Saul know that he lacks this real internal trust and commitment to God. And he says to Saul at this point, this is back in chapter 13, that God is going to replace him with a king king after God's own heart. And so when we step into 1 Samuel 14, uh, essentially the book of 1 Samuel is starting to answer this question, what kind of king should God's people have? If God, what should that leader, leader be like? And, and what becomes difficult, at least for me, I don't know about for you, as you get into 1 Samuel, is to look at Saul as Saul is, is sort of placed up there as, as not the right guy. And, and you see a ton of flaws. And it gets pretty uncomfortable. And on the other side, God begins to show and demonstrate first through Saul's son, Jonathan, and then through David, uh, what it looks like to follow after God's heart. And so last week, if you were here, Mark Patterson uh, led you through the first half of 1 Samuel 14, where Jonathan, Saul's hiding out. Uh, Saul's not sure what to do. Jonathan... Uh, trust the Lord and, and takes on this contingency of the Philistines, which were Israel's major enemy, and fights against them. Um, he's outnumbered, but he wins because the Lord's on his side. And, and so it really starts this momentum for Israel to think, hey, we can defeat the Philistines once and for all. And so Saul tries to grab hold of that momentum. But again, it's this problem for Saul is that he's not really... Following the Lord. It's just all outside him. And so he's trying to respond on his own. One of the things God's trying to communicate to us through this passage is we're, we, we were never made to be self-guided. We were never made to, to be self-led. And, and that's sort of the chaos that you're going to see unfold here with Saul is that Saul's re- responding externally while Jonathan is is responding to the Lord. So we're going to jump into this passage midway through in verse 24. And what's happening is the Philistines are on the run. So Jonathan has, with the Lord's help, taken on the Philistines, scared them. They're a bit chaotic and they're on the run. And so Saul has said, we are going to chase these guys through the night. And we're going to defeat the Philistines once and for all. And we step in here in verse 24. It says, now the Israelites were in distress that day. Because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oats, so he reached out to the end, with the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, cursed be anyone who eats food today. That's why the men are faint. Jonathan says, my father's made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten, some, had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? Essentially what Jonathan is saying is everybody's tired, right? And they're a little hangry, right? And they're a little sad because they haven't eaten. And, and so how much better off it would have been, Saw this was not the time to make that kind of oath, how much better off, how much stronger everybody would have been, how much more encouraged we would have been to continue to defeat the Philistines and how much better we would have done if, if we had partaken in God's blessings and not, and, and not made um, a hasty oath. That day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that is blood in it. You weren't supposed to do that. God had uh, made a a proclamation in Leviticus saying that, that you don't eat blood because blood represents life. Um, And and life belongs to God, and so they weren't supposed to do that. But it seems that in their exhaustion and in their hunger, uh, they've kind of lost their minds a little bit. If you have a toddler who hasn't eaten, you know what this is like. If you have a teenager who hasn't eaten, you also know what this is like, right? You have broken faith, he said, Saul said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, go out among the men and tell them, each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn. And let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said... Let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, come here, all you who are leaders in the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord rescues Israel, as soon as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But not one of them said a word. Saul then said to the Israelites, you stand over there. I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is in me or my son Jonathan, respond with Urim. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with Thuman. Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot and the men were cleared. Saul said, cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff. And now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew to their own land. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side, Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. The names of his older daughter was Merab, and that of the younger was Michael. His wife's name was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaz. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner, and Ner was Saul's uncle. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Ner, were sons of Abiel. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. So there's a lot there. And if I'm honest with y'all, there's a lot in there that is difficult for me. Uh, when I was reading through this passage, I was reminded of a movie that came out a few years back that a lot of people liked, but I did not like. It was called Meet the Parents. You guys know that movie it was Meet the Parents. It, it, it starred uh, Ben Stiller. And, and a lot of people thought it was really funny. Um, and what happens in Meet the Parents, if you don't know Meet the Parents, is this guy shows up to meet his future in-laws, his girlfriends, soon-to-be fiancés. Uh, parents, and it's incredibly uncomfortable, and he makes a ton of mistakes. You can imagine, there are lots of movies like this. It is this movie where, where the guy you're supposed to like continually fails and continually makes the wrong decision and you start to see it coming. And some people love that and I hate it. It makes my stomach hurt. It it bothers me to watch someone fail again and again and again, uh, probably because I see a lot of that in myself. It's the kind of movie that I want to turn off. And I think one of the hard things uh, about watching the story of Saul is it's it's the kind of movie you want to turn off, is it's the kind of movie um, where at least I want to think, um, gosh, why, why can't this guy figure it out? Why can't he get a break? And, and I start to ask those difficult questions, like, does God just hate Saul? And if God just hates Saul, does God just hate me? Right? And, and, and it's difficult, and it's uncomfortable. And I think in the midst of that, that that's, that's, that's a human response. And it's a human response that's grounded in a bad idea of God. It is that what I see as God is the dad from Meet the Parents who does not like the future son-in-law. Who does not want him to win. Who, who the future son-in-law has to earn something to be approved of. And everything is against him. And, and I think if we walk away from the scriptures and that's what we think. Or even with what we think is how do I not be Saul and how do I be Jonathan. Um, that we're missing out on something pretty important. That we're missing out on on what God is trying to tell his people, primarily. And and I think what God is trying to tell his people is what kind of king we have. What kind of king do you and I have? We look at Saul and we look at Jonathan. and, And what God's saying in the midst of 1 Samuel is that there's a kind of leader that reflects God. And there's a kind of leader that doesn't. And God wants us to look at them and not think to ourselves, how do I make sure that I don't end up like Saul? That's a secondary issue. But what I think God wants us to know is what is God, our leader, like? What is he like? Because what we think our king is like Will, will reflect in our lives. It will reflect in how we connect to God. It'll reflect in how we connect to each other. So, what kind of king do we have? The first option is Saul. Is that when we look at God, we can have a king who's like Saul. And if you look at Saul, Saul's isolated. Right? Saul, Saul doesn't walk with his men. Saul kind of spends his time on his own. Saul's angry right? Saul um, prioritizes rules over relationship. Saul looks at his own son, right? And Saul says, I made an oath, and so I'm going to stick to my oath over you. And some of us, like in our our lives, we have kings like that. In our lives, we have leaders like that. And what it begins to make us think is that that's what God is like. Some of us, when we approach God, God feels isolated, God feels distant. It feels like God stands on a hill and makes decisions. It feels like God is most of the time angry with us and against us. And it feels like God is a God of rules over relationship. The, the other option is Jonathan. The other option in this passage for what's the kind of leader that's a leader after God's heart is Jonathan. And I want you to look at Jonathan. And think about what kind of leader Jonathan was. Jonathan went to the fight first, right? Jonathan, in the first half of chapter 14, doesn't even wait for anybody else. He says, I'll go up there and I'll start this. I'll pick the fight against God's enemies. Jonathan walks with the men, right? That's why Jonathan is able to tell the needs of the men. So so Saul stands on high, and Saul makes some great proclamation that sounds really good. We're not going to eat until we finish this battle. But Saul's not even in the lead, chasing after the Philistines. Jonathan, who is there with the people, going through every minute with the people, recognizes their needs. And Jonathan, instead of prioritizing rules over relationship, is is a leader of faith and trust. Of faith and trust. And, and I think that God gives us Jonathan, and God gave the Israelites Jonathan, a, as a picture of, of the kind of leader that God wants us to know that we have. Of the kind of God that we have, that God is fighting for us. Right? It was God that fought against Egypt for the Israelites when they were slaves and couldn't fight for themselves. It's God that went with Jonathan so that when he was outnumbered, he could win a victory against his enemies. God is fighting for us. God is walking with us. And when God looks at us, he's the God who prioritizes faith and trust over a lot of rules. And and the reason that, that that's important for us is that when it comes to God, it's a question we answer, whether we intend to or not. When it comes to God, it's a question we answer, what kind of king is God? What kind of king do I believe God is? Because my relationships are going to reflect my beliefs about what kind of king God is. If I think God is a king of rules over relationship, that God is isolated and that God is angry, I'm going to spend my days stressed. I'm going to spend my days anxious. I'm going to spend my days prioritizing winning over relationship. And and rules as a way to make God like me. But if I believe that God's fighting for me. And I believe that God's walking with me. Then, what I'm going to prioritize is getting as close to God as possible. No matter what, no matter where I'm at, no matter if I'm hungry or if I'm full. Right? See, there's this lie that goes around, even in the church, that God's against us and that we have to figure out how to appease Him, that God is distant. And far off most of the time. And that God is a God of rules. And one thing I always tell the students is that when everything started out, God only had one rule. Right? One rule. And the first lie against God, the first thing that tempted humanity away from God, was this idea that there was even more than one rule. Right? This idea that, that did God say you can't eat any of the trees of the garden Right? That was the temptation. And as soon as the temptation got out there, Eve's response is to add rules to God. She says, well, God said we couldn't eat that tree, and he said we couldn't touch it. But that's not, even, that's not true. God didn't say that they couldn't touch the tree. At all. But the temptation and the lie is to believe that God is an angry God who wants to keep good things from us. Right? And it is only by, by the thinnest, thinnest edge that we ever get into God's presence. And, and I think today maybe the most important thing that, that some of us can know. Is that while sin absolutely creates distance between us and God. And, and while there is a context in which we can believe that because of sin, in some ways we are enemies of God. If Jesus Christ came to do anything, he came to tell us that God loves us. And, and to return us to son and daughtership. And that God is fighting for us. And God sacrifices with us. And God walks beside us through every pain and through every danger. The truth is that God is for us. And Jesus Christ is that revelation. Revelation. I think today when we look at Saul and Jonathan, God's first desire for us isn't for us to think, how do I not be Saul and how do I be Jonathan? But God wants us to know that God is not Saul. God is more like Jonathan. That our king is not like Saul. Our king is more like Jonathan. Our king fights for us. Our king walks with us. You are not alone in what you're going through. God is close to your struggle if you're struggling today. God is with you. God is walking beside you. See, isolation breeds distortion. There were these uh, studies done uh, back in the 50s and 60s because they thought that in the United States, they thought that our enemies uh, were using isolation to break soldiers down. And so they started to isolate people and they did it with college students and they would stick them on this campus and they would put them in these rooms um, and they would, they would cover up their eyes and they would cover up their hands so they couldn't feel anything and they would keep them in isolation. And their hope was to isolate them for a couple of weeks to see what would that do to somebody. But they couldn't even make it too days is that is that healthy college students were breaking down in two days they were hallucinating they they couldn't understand reality anymore they thought things were happening in the room that, that weren't even happening and all of this was the result of just a couple of days of isolation and if you isolate yourself from God if I isolate myself from God and believe God is isolating himself from me I'm going to start ending up like Saul I'm going to start ending up scared and and bitter, and I'm going to start thinking things about God that are not true. I'm going to be frustrated and anxious. Saul is that illustration, again, that God's people weren't made to do things on their own. That they weren't made to be out of relationship with God. And that because of Jesus, we don't have to be out of relationship with God anymore. The other reason I think it's important for us to know today what kind of king God is, that God's a king who fights alongside us, who walks alongside us, is that ultimately we'll be like the king we serve. Is that that was the kind of God that Saul thought he served. Saul had internal disconnection from God and so externally Saw led the same way. And the same thing will be true for you and me. Everybody in here has a kingdom. Everybody in here has a realm of responsibility. Everyone does. The youngest to the oldest. Everybody has a realm of responsibility. If you have a relationship, you have a realm of responsibility. I tell my kids this all the time, that my kids have a realm of responsibility with each other. That they have a place where they can reflect the king. And if you don't know that God is fighting for you, and you don't know that God is walking beside you, then then that's the kind of king you're going to be in every relationship you have. If you don't know that God is walking beside you, and you don't know that God is fighting for you, it is not very likely that you are going to walk beside your spouse or fight for them. It is likely that you're going to isolate It is likely that you're going to step away, that you're going to prioritize rules over relationship. Same thing with your children, students, same thing with your parents. If if, if you don't believe that God is with you and that God is for you and you don't lean in to the character of your king, it's going to begin to decay your relationships just like it did with Saul and Jonathan. You're like the king you serve, and I think God wants you to know today that the king you serve is a king that is close, and he's a king that fights for you. If you're, if you're afraid of God, if you're afraid of what's going to happen when you lean in, I think the thing God wants you to know today is that you don't have anything to fear in God, is that he's not the one, that thanks to Jesus, though you may have been far off, you can be near any situation and in any way, and if you have a relationship right now that you feel like is falling apart and is decaying, what I think God wants you to know is that as you lean into him, you can reflect him even in that relationship as the good God and the good leader that he is. Second thing that I think God wants us to know, and I'll just do this really quickly, is that we can hear God's voice is that we can hear God's voice. One of the tough things in this passage is that Saul asks to hear God's voice and he doesn't hear. And and there are reasons about that for Saul, but, but I don't even think that matters for us. I think what we need to know is that because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in such a way that anyone who follows Jesus can and should hear God's voice. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to me, I know them, and they follow me. In Acts 2, uh, Paul or Peter talks about what's happened now that Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And essentially what he says is this. He says, everyone all across the board now has access to hear God speaking to them. See, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heals our decaying relationships so that we can hear God again. And so our question Becomes not, is my relationship worthy of hearing God? But am I good soil? Am I good soil? If you don't hear God today, I think the question you should ask is not, am I the kind of person that hears God? Because if you've given your life to Jesus, then you're the kind of person that hears God. I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. But what kind of soil am I? Really quick, I'm not going to have time to go through it, but you should check out Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus says there are four kinds of soil when it comes to hearing God's voice. There's, there's uh, distracted, right? There's this idea of that God's word is out there, but, but it never even has a chance to get to you because you're so distracted. Is that you? Are you missing God's voice because you have too many distractions in your life? He talks about the hard soil, right? Are you rocky? Are there places where God wants to speak to you, but you've cut him off? You've said, God, you can't talk to me about that relationship, that situation in my life. There's, there's the soil that has a lot of weeds, and so God's word gets choked out. Are there things that are growing up in your life that, that God wants out of there? And so are you missing it? And then there's the good soil. There's the soil of understanding, the soil that takes time to listen to God. Saul is trying to get God to operate on his timeline, and God doesn't do that. Right? God doesn't say, okay, I'll show up when you schedule me. It takes time. Take space to really hear God's voice. Are you good soil? I'm going to get uh, Bill back up. We're going to have two songs. The first song, um, I just want to encourage you uh, to just listen to the Lord and just ask Him, God, what is it today that you're speaking to my heart? And it could be across the board, it could be something uh, from Scott and Tina, something. Uh, that they shared with your heart in worship or even through these words, God, what is it? What is it to be soil of understanding right now, to make space to hear you? And then I'm going to come back up, and we'll have a time where you can respond with prayer.